In the last 10 years, our field has gone from an unknown specialty to a household name. This brings unprecedented opportunities, but we need to rise up to meet them and give our patients the care that they deserve. In order to help others get better, we need to be better. This podcast will help you to become more confident with your patients, more successful in your practice or business, and a leader in pelvic health. And we're going to have some fun along the way. Join us as we rise together. We're Jesse and Nicole Cozine, founders of Pelvic Sanity Physical Therapy and the creators of the Pelvic PT Huddle. And this is Pelvic PT Rising. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Pelvic PT Rising podcast with Jesse and Nicole Cozine. Hey, Nicole. Hello. All right, we are continuing today with a missing piece series, one I think you guys are going to find very valuable on pedendal neuralgia, probably one of the most confusing diagnoses and difficult to treat ones that you guys experience in the clinic. So we're going to be diving in to that in just a second. Now, for those of you guys who are either want to be business owners or actually already have your own practice, we are going to have some amazing new pelvic PT rising resources for you guys coming out in June. We're going to be announcing those coming up here soon, but one is going to be a kickstart program for those of you guys who are wannabes and want to get started and turn into an entrepreneur. And one is going to be our accelerator program for those who already have a practice and are looking to fill your schedule, streamline your systems, achieve clinical excellence, and really grow. So we'll have more information on that, but you can find all of that at pelvicptrising.com slash business. Wait lists are available for both of those to make sure that you can reserve your spot. So check those out if you're a business owner or dreaming of that in the near future. But Nicole, diving into a missing piece, I think this series has been one of the ones that we've gotten the most comments back, and we've been getting a lot of responses just about how helpful this has been. And I think one of the things to remember is it's not the missing piece. We're not talking about the one thing. But we are talking about something that you feel like is commonly overlooked, dismissed, um, maybe just not given enough attention to with a specific diagnosis. So we're going to go ahead and dive into that for pedendal neuralgia right now. But I think, Nicole, the first thing to do would be to think about the three ways that you categorize people who come in with pedendal nerve type symptoms, because I think it all gets lumped into pedendal neuralgia or pedendal nerve entrapment, and we don't really understand what we mean by those. So Give me the three different levels or three different things you're thinking about when somebody has kind of those classic pedendal nerve type symptoms. So I think of pedendal nerve symptoms on a continuum where pedendal nerve irritation is on one end of the spectrum and pedendal nerve entrapment is on the far other end of the spectrum. And what's in the middle is pedendal neuralgia. So you can kind of think of it like this. Pedendal nerve irritation can happen at any time with anything. And because of the way that it traverses in the pelvic floor, a lot of times pedendal nerve muscle overactivity can actually cause pedendal nerve irritation and some symptoms of pedendal neuralgia. Now, pedendal neuralgia is actually where the nerve is the main source of irritation. And this can happen for a variety of different reasons, which goes beyond the the scope of this current podcast. But Pedental neuralgia is also very much able to have that has like five different criteria. One uh, to see whether or not you actually have 
quote unquote penile neuralgia, one of which is doing a diagnostic penile nerve block and having it come and having it reduce or eliminate symptoms. And so, but not everybody is appropriate to go through that rigorous testing with some of the symptoms of penile nerve irritation. And then on the far end of the spectrum is penile nerve entrapment, which is actually quite rare. And that usually happens sudden onset, very, very, very severe, and usually can be pinpointed back to some sort of event in most cases, some sort of a surgery, sometimes even like a prolapse surgery where they are pinning the mesh or something back on the sacral promontory and can actually physically entrap the nerve. That's what that means. And so when patients come in, they can be, have read all kinds of different scary things on the internet, like with a lot of different pelvic pain conditions, but specifically with penile neuralgia, it's, there's a ton of misinformation out there. And then there's just a lot of misunderstood information about penile nerve symptoms. And so that's one of the things I feel like we can certainly help our patients with. But at the end of the day, penile neuralgia or penile nerve irritation symptoms need to have a significant differential diagnosis with us because patients can come in with a ton of different types of incorrect diagnoses. They can be diagnosed with vulvodynia and have penile nerve irritation. They can have penile nerve overactivity or pelvic floor tension myalgia and have actual penile nerve irritation. So there's just like a lot of different things that can be a problem with penile nerve irritation. And so, but one of the biggest things that, and this is what the missing piece is today. One of the biggest things that I want us to take away from this is that, that we also forget about another type of nerve that can also mimic all of the symptoms of penile neuralgia. And that is the posterior femoral cutaneous nerve. And it's a little known nerve. And we can, we're going to go through some of the ways that we can do some differential diagnosis for this nerve to be a part of symptom presentation. Right. So I think that's part of the challenge, right, Nicole, is if you have somebody who comes in and a lot of times patients with pedendal neuralgia or those type of symptoms have read a ton about it or worried about entrapment, they're thinking about nerve damage, everything is focused and pointing to the pedendal nerve. And that can kind of lead you to start focusing almost exclusively on treating that nerve, the path of the nerve, all of the rest of that stuff. So how do you kind of avoid getting too myopic about that when somebody who comes in, they've got a diagnosis of pedental neuralgia, they really are thinking about pedental neuralgia, and you're saying, whoa, take a step back. Is this really the pedental nerve that's causing all of this stuff, or could it be something else? And how do we differentiate between those? So how do you, first of all, when somebody just walks into your office, not get hyper-focused on the pedental nerve, if especially when they are? Yeah, it's actually really difficult to do, right? Because they're coming in with this preconceived notion about what is going on and some of their symptoms might actually line up. But is that really what the whole picture is? And so part of it is to make sure to talk to the patient and really ask them where are their symptoms coming from? Because when you start to really essentially map out this patient's symptoms, a lot of the times, then we start to have to consider other things because if you take note of where the actual sensory and pain pattern of the penendal nerve would be, it is very small, quite frankly. And it's it really is in a little bullseye right over 
the like labia, labia majora, and extends down into the perineum and it does have a rectal branch. So you can have rectal symptoms, but it's a relatively small area. If you look at a perineal pain map of the penental nerve. And so the sensory mapping of the penental nerve is super small. So therefore, if there's symptoms that extend beyond that, like by definition, it can't only be the pedendal nerve, but that's what we can assume if all we're doing is paying attention to what the patient is saying that they have and, or even paying attention only to what a physician says that they have. And I like to think of pedendal neuralgia or pedendal nerve irritation as sort of like a low back pain type diagnosis, right? It doesn't tell you much else other than there is some sort of pain in the distribution of the pedendal nerve. And it's usually nerve pain because it's a nerve irritation syndrome. So it can be itching, burning, tingling, throbby, achy, all of those different things can be there. But if it extends beyond where the, the sensory mapping of the pedendal nerve is, then we have to start considering other nerves. So now when you've got those other nerves that you feel like are involved, how does that change your treatment approach? I mean, this is obviously, you know, maybe a very ignorant question for me, but what would it look like to treat the posterior femoral cutaneous nerve? And how do you do that differently than the pedendal nerve? Good question. Some of the things are seemingly are very overlapping, but if you actually take a little bit of how the patient is presenting, then you can sort of expand your treatment area essentially into the gluteal fold, maybe the glutes, and maybe down even into the hamstring all the way down to like the middle of the the back of the knee, for instance, and how you can decide specifically whether or not the posterior femoral cutaneous nerve is in uh, play here is if there's also some symptoms in the distribution of the posterior femoral cutaneous nerve, which include, remember there's three different branches. There's a gluteal branch, the perineal branch, and then an inferior branch. And so the posterior femoral cutaneous nerve is derived from some of the anterior rami of, of the sacral nerve roots that share innervation with the pedendal nerve. And so there's a lot of overlap there. There's also some overlap with the sciatic nerve coming out from the sacral nerve roots. But the perineal branch of the posterior femoral cutaneous nerve is really what I'm basically arguing for to that might be a missing piece is because that nerve is medial to, so the posterior femoral cutaneous nerve is medial to the sciatic nerve. And then the branch of the perineal branch goes around the ischial tuberosity and then innervates the scrotum and the labia and can give off a lot of pelvic pain symptoms and nerve symptoms. And so the other thing that I want you to remember is that it can be both and it can be pedental nerve irritation and have an involvement in the posterior femoral cutaneous nerve genital branch because, and this is if you think about what it might be, if you start out with some pedental nerve irritation and it hurts to sit, what do people do? They offload towards away from the side that hurts towards the other side. And so a lot of times what can happen is that you'll have that can, it, you can have a right-sided, say, pedental nerve irritation and also a left-sided posterior femoral cutaneous genital branch problem, all of which have to the patient the same 
my perineum hurts, I can't sit type of a of a presentation because of your offloading and because that the posterior femoral cutaneous nerve is medial to the sciatic nerve. So it's the first thing that you're going to kind of squish and compress if you're having to offload for that thing. And then the other thing is, is that if someone's using a cushion to offload the perineum, a lot of times, this is why I don't love cushions with a cutout because the, sometimes the place where it's cut out also compresses right medial to the ischial tuberosity and can compress this nerve as well on both sides. So now you have a big, huge, like, I don't know where this pain is coming from situation, but the bottom line is that it can't only be the pedental nerve most times. Right. And so you would say even Nicole, it's pretty dang rare then to have somebody who has only pedendal nerve issues when they've been diagnosed with pedendal neuralgia. It would be, you'd be really surprised not to see involvement from some other nerves if you know you somebody comes in with those kind of symptoms 100% and to the point where i'd be like are we sure like <laughs> are really like it's that classic of a presentation and this can also be that i mean that fact can actually be really empowering to a patient because it can be really overwhelming that there's the pedendal nerve is, is mad. And, and this, I have all these symptoms of pedendal nerve. They're sometimes saying entrapment, they really mean neuralgia and it's really neither. But the way that I explain it to patients is that there are multiple other areas that we can intervene that can decrease some of your symptoms. And so what we're going to do is we're going to, you know, go this one route and see, and then we're going to see what symptoms go away and what's left. And then we're going to go from there. And so the cool thing is about that is that there's multiple areas for us to intervene. It's not just one thing and one thing only. And this can also lead us down the path where someone, if somebody comes in and they're like, you know, my doctor sent me to pelvic floor therapy and, and I had a pedental nerve block and it didn't work and all of that. It's like, great. Well, of course it didn't work. It wasn't just the pedental nerve. Yes. I was going to ask about that because I feel like that happens so often. It's this like really contradictory thing or these patients who have or have been diagnosed with or assume they have pedental neuralgia, they've done a pedental nerve block and it doesn't work or it doesn't work all the way. This is the explanation for that, right? You actually wouldn't expect it to take away all the symptoms. You would expect it to only take away the stuff that's due to the pedental nerve itself, but that doesn't take into account all of these other nerves with these big long names that you just said. Yes, totally. And then that's why also it's a little bit frustrating that the criteria to diagnose somebody with pedental neuralgia is so it's like a blessing and a curse, right? It's great that there are diagnostic criteria that some patients fit into. The flip side of that is that it's kind of annoying because it just because you're negative for that stuff, like it, it you did the block and it didn't work doesn't mean there's not pedal nerve involvement. And there usually is something else going on, but then the person well, the patient will be like, oh, well, I had a pedental nerve block. It didn't work. Oh my God, no one knows what's wrong with me. And that's where we come in. We can be like, yeah, there's a ton of other things that can overlap in that area. And it's our job to figure it out. And we're going to be able to do that. The other complicating factor in this whole thing is that usually nobody is coming into your office with a pedental nerve diagnosis that whose central nervous system is totally fine. So the central sensitization aspect of this is also, and the sort of brain smudging that happens with pain in this region is already at play. And so 
that's a lot of the times too, where I'm like, someone's like, well, should I go get a parental nerve block? Should I go get a parental nerve block? And I'm like, I mean, let's push pause for a second. Let's treat the things that we know are causing some of your symptoms. We can maybe do that a little bit later if we are still really like narrowing down where we think the problem is coming from. That might be something that we end up doing a little bit later, which by the way, is also in my medical procedures masterclass, like the clinical reasoning of when we would actually refer someone to go get a pineal nerve block or not. But that is something that is the the central nervous system component is very much complicating this situation as well and can lead to a lot of other areas creating pain in this region in addition to the pineal nerve. Okay. So we will put in the show notes, a link to that medical procedures masterclass that Nicole did that kind of walks through all of that. But Nicole, talk to me then, give me maybe even in like a patient example What's an example of how you treat somebody different because you're not hyper-focusing on that pedendal nerve itself and you have in the back of your mind this posterior cutaneous femoral branch with the perineal side, right? Oh my gosh, it's seriously one of my pet peeves when he says posterior. I'm like, it's posterior. Seriously, get it together. Right, but if if we write it in the history books, we're going to save it for posterity, but it's posterior. Okay, whatever it is, Nicole. Walk me through, like in a real life example, how how would you treat somebody if you were just focusing exclusively on the pedendal? And then how would you treat somebody differently if you suspected that there was these involvement from these other nerves and you're kind of focusing on a little bit broader of a treatment approach? So if you're really hyper-focusing on the pedendal nerve itself, then you're going to be doing the pelvic floor muscle palpation along the path of the pineal nerve at Alcox canal, at ischial spine, back up to coccygeus, piriformis, and through the sacral nerve roots. And then also externally where that pineal nerve comes out with the branches, right? So there's the perineal clitoral branch. There's a perineal branch, there's the clitoral urethral branch, and then there's a rectal branch. So you might be doing some external fascial work around that area and pretty much staying in the perineum region. Of course, we always want to look at why that's happening and all of the things that I always talk about, find the why, but, but that's where you're really going to be focused is along the path of the pineal nerve. And so you need to take a look at where that goes through in the anatomy because anatomy is evidence to, for you to work there. Now, if there is somebody that has multiple nerve involvements and and has the posterior femoral cutaneous nerve. Now that might look like assessing hamstring length, assessing the fascial mobility over the gluteal fold, looking, going all the way down to the pop fossa and releasing anything there that we find. And again, you're still going to want to find the why, why is that all happening as well, but we're going to extend beyond that. So that's what it would look like a little bit differently. The other thing is, is that we would, there's so many times where when someone says they have pineal nerve irritation, then they're like, okay, cool. Well, either we need to like look at your sitting or get a cushion or something like that, but we don't really look at how people are moving. And so we still want to be able to do that in both of the conditions, but I might be more interested in is somebody with posterior femoral cutaneous nerve involvement in the genital branch, are they over recruiting their hamstrings, for instance, in a certain area that might be irritating at the gluteal fold or through the ischial tuberosity in that region 
and therefore creating an upregulated state in that way. Hopefully that gives a little bit of an example of that. Yeah. And is this something too, where you might be able to get a little bit more of a quick win as much as you can with a complex thing like pedendal neuralgia? Or is that not necessarily the case? But I would just with the way you were describing it, it's like, oh, if the pedendal nerve was the original irritated nerve, now they offload, they start irritating these other nerves because of that. Can you sometimes get your patient a little bit of a quick win, even though working with someone with pedendal neuralgia might be a six month, one year, two year process? Yeah, I would say so. I mean, I feel like the other opportunity that it gives is because remember the symptoms can still be very specifically in the pedental nerve distribution, but the contributing factor is also the other, the posterior femoral cutaneous nerve genital branch. So it allows you to be able to treat something that isn't quite as symptomatic or quite as irritable as well. And sort of like Jesse said, get a quick win or see if something's working that way or not. Another good example of this is like somebody that I might have do a deep squat to relax their pelvic floor might not do well with a deep squat. So there's two different things, right? Somebody might do well with a deep squat. If the pedental nerve irritation that you're having is created by the pedental nerve, then relaxing the pelvic floor muscles in a deep squat would be helpful. In somebody that has potentially posterior femoral cutaneous nerve irritation genital branch and the hamstring musculature around the ischial tuberosity is irritated, let's say in hip flexion, then doing a deep squat might be irritating for that person. So that's how also it might look a little bit differently. And that's how you got to think like just because somebody has overactivity of the pelvic floor causing pineal nerve symptoms doesn't mean that like a deep squat pelvic floor relaxation exercises are going to be most helpful, especially right away until that other area is desensitized a little bit. So that's just another example of how you might be thinking about this a little bit differently. Got it. So I think that is our missing piece when it comes to treating pedendal neuralgia. Any last words, Nicole, any other takeaways from that? And then I will make sure to link that medical procedures masterclass in the show notes. uh, If you guys are interested in learning more about nerve blocks and Botox to the pelvic floor and all of the different medical procedures that can kind of aid and assist in your pelvic floor interventions. Yeah. I mean, my last words on this is, is I like thinking of pedental neuralgia, the diagnosis as something that we don't need to be scared of. And that we have to just make sure we continue to do our differential diet, our PTOT differential diagnosis. What is actually causing this problem? And it can be a lot of different nerves. And then to extend that to the patient then can be really empowering because it's not just the one thing that we have to fix. It can be multiple things that can each one have a percentage of their contributing factors to their symptoms. And if we can address something like that, then we can help that patient get lasting relief. Perfect. So I know this is a really intimidating diagnosis to work with for a lot of folks. So I hope this has been really helpful to expand the way we're thinking about that. You guys are really liking this Amazing Peace series. Please reach out at Nicole. You can DM her, shoot her an email. You can leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts. It helps other people find us, but also just makes us really happy. And we love reading those and seeing those when you put them in. So please, if you have a moment, we'd love to see some of those. But as always, we want to keep this conversation going. And let's continue to rise.